Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Stephen Yeh, who is the Trulson Chair at the Trulson Eye Institute at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. Uh, Steve, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Carmen, it's great to be here with you on Retina Synthesis today to talk to you about suprachoroidal drug delivery. Well, You've done pioneering work in the area of suprachoroidal drug delivery with microinjection. And can you tell me how this all started? Sure, Carmen. First of all, again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you on Retina Synthesis today to really inform the retina community about all the advances going on in the field. And so I became involved with suprachoroidal drug delivery as a result of a collaboration that was already ongoing between Emory and Georgia Tech. Uh, with Hank Edelhauser, Mark Krausnitz, and Samir Patel, who had uh, really invented and started to develop and advance and pioneer the microneedle. And they were interested into its potential impact for use in uveitis and retinal disease. And the company Clearside Biomedical was uh, shortly developed thereafter to look at suprachoroidal drug delivery for the treatment of uveitis and other retinal disease indications. And I became involved uh, from the standpoint of of understanding the microneedle, learning about the technology, assisting with the design principles, and ultimately helping to design some of the early phase uh, trials moving from the phase one to ultimately the phase three uh, pivotal trial that looked at um, Zypair, um, at the time suprachoroidal CLSTA for the treatment of macular edema due to non-infectious uveitis. And so I was really fortunate to be in the right place at the right time with really outstanding collaborators from different institutions. Um, again, and this is something that I know that you can speak to is really the, the, the intersect between engineering design and medicine. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about how um, the direction that was taken to, to try triamcinolone and macular edema and uveitis is the first clinical application? Sure, absolutely. Well, we know that, that corticosteroids are very broadly acting. Uh, we know that they, they are excellent at being, because of their anti-inflammatory properties, as well as their effect on vasopermeability. And because of that, that was the, the, really the, the route that was taken uh, to, to instill this medication within the supercritical space, uh, with the concept being that you wanted to increase the amount of drug in a, in a very compartmentalized fashion, increasing the levels of drug to the retina and the choroid while limiting the amount of medication to the anterior segment. And with the, with the concept being that if you limited the amount of medication to uh, the anterior segment, you could potentially reduce the complications, uh, i.e. elevated intraocular pressure, cataract, uh, while potentially increasing your efficacy signal. And that's really what drove um, that application of this technology for uveitis, looking at the reduction of macular edema and improvement of visual acuity uh, by having more, more medication within the, the target tissues. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Peachtree trial, which is the pivotal phase three trial? Sure, absolutely. So the, the Peachtree st study, as you mentioned, is the pivotal trial looking at uh, the suprachoroidal CLSTA, the, the corticosteroid trimsilone acetonide, which was a proprietary, proprietary formulation for macular edema due to non-infectious uveitis. And the way that the trial was designed is that patients were randomized to either the suprachoroidal corticosteroid or to the sham group. And patients were allowed to receive rescue injections through the 24 weeks of the trial. That the primary efficacy outcome was visual acuity. 
And other outcomes that were important included central subfield thickness as measured by OCT, um, and also looking at adverse events. And, and what the Peachtree study found was that patients who received the supracortical corticosteroid injection, or now known as Zypir, 40% of these individuals achieved a three-line or greater improvement in best corrected visual acuity compared to 16% of individuals in the sham control arm, which was really impressive from a visual acuity endpoint perspective. And this was really reflected in the reduction of macular edema by OCT measures with patients receiving the medication showing a, a significant reduction in, in macular edema of approximately 150 microns. We saw these results um, at the week four time point and at week 24, you continue to see this sustained response in the anatomic uh, improvements. So how long the, um, is, is this really a sustained delivery approach? So that, that's a really good question. So the kinetics of the medication, I think in, in patients that haven't been measured in patients per se, but what we do know is are really from the Magnolia trial, which is the extension, which is an open label extension trial. So patients who um, went through the Peachtree investigation were followed if they had not have, if they did not have rescue therapy at the end of the Peachtree trial. And what we found that 50% of these individuals who were in the, 50% of the individuals who were treated with the, the medication, the supracortical corticosteroid, about half these patients did not require additional rescue medications at the, at the week 48 time point. So this was fully nine months out after their second supracortical corticosteroid injection. So at least the, the top line result from Magnolia is that 50% of individuals who received the supracortical steroid injection did not need additional rescue therapy. And so that gives us some sense of what durability uh, may look like. And uh, this is something that continues to be investigated. The, um, there are lots of options available for uveitis clinicians in terms of steroids. Why is Zypir something that has some advantages? Yeah, so one of the aspects about, about Peach is really related to the inclusion criteria, that patients could have inflammation involving the anterior segment or anterior uveitis and all the way back to the, to the, to the back of the eye, uh, posterior uveitis, intermediate uveitis, and panuveitis. And so the inclusion criteria were quite, quite, quite broad. Uh, patients were also allowed to have IOP-lowering medications of up to two IOP-lowering medications as their inclusion criteria. And, and really, the, I think that one of the aspects of the medication that, are that is really compelling is the highly compartmentalized aspect of the medication. Again, that, that there's high levels of drug within the retina and the choroid and lower levels of medication within the anterior segment with the potential for improved efficacy with reduced uh, concerns about safety signals. And, and these are some of the more compelling reasons I feel that this is a medication that, that's, that's be considered for macular edema due to non-infectious uveitis. So intravitreal drug delivery has a higher rate of anterior segment complications than suprachoroidal delivery? So, so currently there's no head-to-head -head comparison between intravitreal versus, uh, versus suprachoroidal drug delivery. Uh, again, this, this, the, the comparator arm was the sham control arm. There is some post-hoc analysis that suggests that there's that patients who receive suprachoroidal corticosteroid versus sort of real-world therapies uh, compare favorably from the standpoint of visual acuity um, as well as uh, safety outcomes. But I think that that story is, is something that, that needs further investigation, but there's currently no head-to-head -head, uh, related to intravitreal um, the medications currently on the market versus the suprachoroidal drug delivery technique. But the, the, the incidence of incre increased intraocular pressure was low. 
That's correct. Yeah. In, within the supracranial drug delivery arm, um, it was about just over 11% and it was about 16% in the individuals who were in the sham control arm, acknowledging that patients who were in the sham control arm could also have rescue therapy. The majority of uh, situations were, again, real world corticosteroids that were given at the discretion of the investigator. So how, uh, what about initial case selection? When this uh, drug is available, what um, recommendations do you have to your colleagues in the uveitis community about case selection and use? Yeah, so, so again, kind of going back to the inclusion criteria, we have sort of a broad population of patients, anterior, intermediate, posterior, and pan-uveitis who would be eligible uh, for this type of, this, for this medication, and also having macular edema associated with non-infectious uveitis. I think that there's certain situations if, if again, if a patient is on um, IOP-lowering medications, um, they can have up to two, um, and they could be considered for, for this medication. Um, some patients um, are interested in a different uh, option, and because, because it is a a, a novel and innovative option and, and really a, an alternative to other medications. I think these are patients where I think that that would be considered for um, this medication, acknowledging again, the, the efficacy and safety signals from, from the phase three, phase three study data. Um, so what about eyes with, so it's both anterior and posterior segment, posterior segment uveitis That's are, correct. Are, are eligible. Right, that's correct. Can you give us some anecdotes from your cases that you've treated? Sure. So I, I remember distinctly there was a, one, one gentleman who was, 40, was in his 40s, um, history of, of sarcoidosis and, and really severe uh, macular edema around 2080 uh, visual acuity. And uh, essentially he had had other intravitreal corticosteroids as well as periocular corticosteroids and was just really interested in a different option. And so he elected to be um, in, in one of the the phase, I believe he was in the phase two trial and he did very well. He improved from 28 to 2032 at the week, uh, sorry, the month two time point with a substantial reduction in, in macular edema. And this, this effect was seen um, even later on as he, uh, we continue to follow this individual. And there are other individuals who I've seen uh, who have this durability signal. Um, and I think that the, the, the Magnolia study, which, which again sort of speaks to the durability question, it really is about 50% who end up not needing rescue therapy at the, at the week nine, week, sorry, the month nine uh, time point. And so there's other individuals um, sort of in this category, other individuals I've treated with intermediate UVS who have also done well with supracoronal drug delivery. So uh, can you discuss your surgical technique yeah, so that's a great question. It is a different technique um, than the intravitreal drug delivery technique, but uh, given that uh, there are over 50 centers, uh, multiple investigators in three countries, including India, Israel, and the United States, all of these investigators uh, learned this technique. And my specific technique, I want to make sure the patient's uh, comfortable. And so I like to use subconjunctival lidocaine. Uh, I, I counsel the patient if they've had intravitreal corticosteroids that they may feel a slight pressure. Um, during the procedure. And then when I, when I use the, the micro needle, uh, it's important that the needle is perpendicular to the surface of the eye. I displace the conjunctiva from a safety uh, perspective. And I ensure that the, that the micro needle is perpendicular to the ocular surface. Uh, I make a very small dimple and I, I slowly depress the plunger. And as I de depress the plunger, I, I feel a sense of, uh, there's a loss of resistance as the medication goes into the suprachoroidal space. 
uh, with the principle being that the resistance is much higher within the sclera than in the suprachoroidal space. And so once you feel that loss of resistance, then the medication goes in very readily uh, when you depress the plunger and you're not gonna see egress of any corticosteroid uh, within the ocular surface. And so it's, it's less pushing and more of a, a finesse movement. Again, it's, it is nuanced, uh, but again, it's something that I, I do think that, that can be learned by, by any individual who gives uh, intravitreal corticosteroids and treats this population of patients. What quadrant do you make the injection in? Yeah, so I personally go in the infratemporal quadrant. Other investigators will go in the supratemporal quadrant. I think it just it just varies from. I think it has to do with, um, as you know, Carmen. It really depends on on the, the field, the the, the mm -hmm. ergonomics for each individual in terms of which quadrant uh, their their preferences. And I and I if there's any concerns about scleral thinning, then I don't go in that that quadrant. Some of our patients who have had corticosteroids before, uh, we have to monitor for that, and that's that's the only caveat that that I would say. Is there a choice? Is there is there more than one needle? Yeah, so there's there's two needles. There's a, a 900 micron needle and an 1100 micron needle. And the 900 micron needles found that it was effective in about oh, just over 70% of individuals. And for other individuals um, who needed 1100 micron needle, then the other, other population would, would fit in that 1100 micron category as well. But I typically will start with a 900 micron needle first. Well, this is exciting. What do you? Uh, what are your comments about the use of suprachoroidal injection for gene therapy and for anti-angiogenesis uh, therapy? Some comments about that. Yeah, I, I would just say that that there, as, as you're aware, and I think that there's other uh, investigators who you've spoken with on retina synthesis, and this is just a really exciting. Uh, time when we think about drug delivery. And there's a number of studies that are underway. And I, I'm excited about the possibilities. I think that, again, the supercritical space is just a, such a unique location for, uh, for drug delivery. And as you mentioned, there's gene therapy, there's work ongoing related to tumors um, and, other, and other therapies as well, thinking about macular degeneration. And ultimately, I think that the trial, trial data will, will speak for themselves. And I won't speak to the, the specifics of the trial data. Uh, but I do think that as, as this technique um, was, was FDA approved for the first indication in UVS. I really think that's exciting for the field and how we think about future uh, drug delivery techniques and other therapeutics for other disease indications, as you've mentioned. Well, Stephen, it was great having you on retina synthesis, and uh, we look forward to introduction of this powerful new tool. Carmen, thanks so much again for the time to, to spend with you and, and, and for all of your and Charlie's work on retina synthesis. It's great to chat with you today.